the book of Philippians is considered the book of joy. Joy. Joy, yeah. Okay. So, so it's kind of like this. It, it, it speaks openly about how to find joy, even in the midst of this cascade of lemons that have been thrown into his life. And you remember the old cliche, if life gives you lemons, what do you do? Make lemonade. There you go. So I'm thinking we should call this study Lemonade. lemonade. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey of faith that you have to do. You cannot opt out of this journey. You're either doing it or you're not. You're either mm-hmm. growing or shrinking in your faith. <laughs> growing or shrinking. And we want to be here to help you grow. Can I grow in my faith but shrink in my body? In your weight? In and my your, weight? In your physicality? Yes, my, those are totally, <laughs> totally options. That's my goal That's for 2023. Goal. That's your New Year's resolution. <laughs> do both. Uh, we are here to help you do that. And yes. Well, the spiritual part. You, the physical weight loss portion, you're going to have to go see That's a different That's totally podcast. on your own. Different podcast <laughs> Go see a professional. But we are here to help you grow in your faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without yes. the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. So good to be with all of you in this new year. I'm very excited. We're going to spend the whole year talking about the kingdom of God. And this new series that we're going to be starting today fits perfectly with that. It's all about uh, a deeper understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God. It's Mm -hmm. about how you live in the kingdom of God. And while you live in the kingdom of God, it impacts your life and how living in the world's kingdom impacts your life. The world's kingdom tends to be about, you know, that physicality. It's all about, uh, uh, pursuing the things of this world. It has its own score, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it has its own award. Yeah. It's own criteria, but in a lot of ways, what you end up with misery and suffering without hope, it Mm -hmm. promises. And then it robs you of what it promised. So Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians in the new Testament in order to show the difference between living in the kingdom of God and what it's like in comparison to living in the kingdom of the world. And so it's really important to kind of understand the whole nature of our study over the next few weeks, probably about five or six weeks is going to be verse by verse through the book of Philippians in order to discover the difference between the kingdom of God and what it means to live there and the kingdom of the world and what it means to live there. So, uh, this is a really unique letter that was written because it was written to Philippi, which was a predominantly Roman citizen. Almost no Jews are there. And the reason we know that is because if you go to Acts chapter 16 and you look at who Paul met and how this church was started, uh, Philippi is a city that's at the very Northern coast of Greece on the Aegean Sea. So it's, okay. I, I don't know how familiar you are in my audience with uh, Middle Eastern or Mediterranean geography, but basically the city of Philippi is due west of Istanbul. Okay. And if you're familiar in uh, the middle of Turkey, well, it's probably a third of the way into Turkey, is you have this little uh, 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 kind of a canal Okay. That splits the city of Istanbul in two into the Black Sea. All right. Okay. 
So it's a very power bit. You know, the Black Sea, if you get, get into there, you'll get up into Bulgaria. You get up into Russia. You can access all those areas up there. It's really a massive sea up there. But the way you get from the Aegean, which is the greater Mediterranean, to the Aegean up into the Black, is through this canal, all right, that runs right through the city of Istanbul. And that canal has always been considered the demarcation, the border between what they call the East and the West. Okay. And so just west of this is the city of Philippi. And it was really, really popular because it was the place where uh, Roman Legion soldiers would go to retire. So if you served in the Roman Legion, uh, the, one of the reasons why you would serve, particularly for a long period of time, upwards of 20 years, is that you would get a few things. Number one, you'd get land. Once you were released from service, okay. number two, you would get a small pension or pay. And number three, you were given Roman citizenship. So you're a free man. So a lot of, there was a community there in Philippi. So they would go there and it was established around trade. So if you wanted to retire, you couldn't really, I think, live off of your pension from the Roman military, but it was enough to get involved in business. And because of your status, see, that's the big thing you got from serving. You became a free man, a full Roman citizen, and you got the status and you had land, mm -hmm. then what happened is you'd have a place to live and then get involved in business. So it was a kind of a, like a entrepreneurial hotspot as well. Okay. So very few Jewish people lived there, but there was Lydia who was a dealer in purple. She was uh, very involved in uh, business. She was mar you know, a marketer. She worked in this economy and she, God opened her heart to the gospel. They started a church there. It was almost all Romans, all people who had retired and moved there. They had a lot of uh, maturity, a lot of wealth, a lot of influence. So Philippi was a very strong church. But what's so interesting about this book and why we're going to study it and how it kind of compares the two kingdoms that you live in is that Paul wrote after he started this church, he goes on, does some other things, and then he gets arrested and while he's in prison, he writes this letter to the Philippians. But the book of Philippians is considered the book of joy. Joy. Joy, yeah. Okay. So, so it's kind of like this. It, it, it speaks openly about how to find joy, even in the midst of this cascade of lemons that have been thrown into his life. And you remember the old cliche, if life gives you lemons, what do you do? Make lemonade. There you go. So I'm thinking we should call this study... Lemonade. lemonade. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of that? All right. I can see how that could work. Um, Does that give you an idea for a graphic yeah, or something? Can you remember yeah, that? we can figure that out. Okay, we can good. We that out. Oh, awesome. Um, I mean, let's start digging into this. How, how about I read a little bit? Okay. And then you can tell us what is actually going on in these segments that I'm going to read and give us kind of the inside scoop or context, so to speak. You got it. Does that work? Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see... Start with chapter one, verse one. You just read a little bit, and then I'll just okay. like go stop. So we're gonna go. We're gonna go chapter one, verse one, and we'll just keep going until you tell me you have something to say, which <laughs> I can't imagine won't take too long. So uh, verse one: Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Verse two: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop. 
<laughs> oh boy, that was quick. Should I give Super you a sign or should I should throw something at <laughs> yeah. you? I don't know. Here in the studio. Well, here's is this a standard greeting that okay. he uses on many of his letters, and it tells us some basic things, okay? Number one, he's writing about Paul and Timothy together, you know, and so that's important because Timothy is a main uh, partner of Paul. He was a disciple of Paul. He ends up being a uh, leader or lead pastor at the church at Ephesus for a period of time. Okay. But if you remember, there's two letters written to him called the Pastoral Epistles at the end of Paul's life, encouraging him. And And most importantly, Timothy is the guy that collected all of these letters of Paul and all of these other letters. And so he's basically the one who assembled the New Testament as it was being written. Mm. Phenomenal, influential person. And the both of them are writing to the saints, right? So Christians early on were referred to not as Christians, but saints in Jesus Christ. And what that phrase basically means is it comes, the word saint comes from the Greek word hagios, which means completely righteous. And the word right in front of it there is tois. And it basic, it's the thing that's really interesting about Greek is they do not use definitive articles. So they don't use the word the, and they never use the word a. So if I say that is a car, then you're, you're saying, oh, that's a non-definitive thing. If I say that is the car, you know, I'm talking specifically about one car. Right. But what Toys does is, is that word when it puts is next to Hagios, it brings it together and it says, okay, we're talking, it's definitive. We are speaking about, these are the only righteous people in that are in Christ. So we are made righteous by Christ and we are the only ones that can be made righteous, right? Because we have Christ. Then he says, I'm not only writing to all of those who are in Christ and made righteous, but I'm also, um, writing to the overseers. Uh, and that's the term elder, Okay. That's interchangeable there. And then deacons, deacons were people who were exercising their spiritual gifts for the sake of building up the church. And he says, all I'm coming to you in grace. So he's talking to all those people. So the biblical principle here is that it's Jesus who makes us righteous and part of the kingdom of God. He is the gate, the door, the path. We can't be righteous. We can't be a part of the kingdom of God and live in that kingdom unless we do so through Christ. So let's keep going. So verse three picks up and says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, let's stop there. Look at how thankful he is. I think it's really important to see that gratitude for anything brings joy. When, when you're thankful for something, you know, this is, a, this is a great lesson for anybody. Let's say you're married, guys, and you're thinking that, man, I, my wife is just, she doesn't respect me sometimes, or she's just arguing with me all the time. She's always putting me down. So you start to get this resentment towards your wife. You mm-hmm. know, you're not happy with her. She doesn't treat you well. She doesn't do that. You say, well, the way you can change that is start trying to find ways to be, have gratitude that you have a wife. You know, um, if you need help with that, just look in a full length mirror, you know, for a while and say, that's kind of a blessing that I actually have a wife, you know, I'm not Adonis (laughs) here, right? (laughs) You you know, if, if that's what you need to do, do it. 
But the thing is, is that when you develop gratitude for something, that helps you feel more joyful about it, right? Mm -hmm. It's that way about your job. It's that way about the neighborhood you live in. It's it's that way you live in your house, the house you're in, or the apartment you have, the car you drive. I'm just so thankful I have a car, and you get more joy out of it. If you're if you're a wife and you're married, you know that you're nagging your husband, criticizing him, having a bad attitude or disrespecting him is not going to get anything that you want out of your marriage. None of your needs will be met that way. Mm. Okay. But if you're gracious and happy that you have a husband, guess what? That will help you feel more joy. So that's really important is that joy comes from gratitude. And that's the principle here in the Bible of our prayer life always brings joy because it allows us to see what God is doing in the situation that we find ourselves in. Okay. So looking for that joy and being thankful can bring us joy, even when it thinks, yeah. I mean, at this point, Paul's in prison, right? So it's like, he should yeah. have every reason to complain and say, it's really cold in here. I'm not enjoying this at all. Yeah. But instead he's like, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for yeah. everything you guys are doing and what you. So found. he's in prison and he's thankful that they are following Christ and yes. that brings him joy. Absolutely. Okay. So let's move on to verse six. It picks up and says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Yeah, Jesus. let's stop there because this is a very important verse. It's a key verse in the whole theme of Philippians. And that is, when you enter the kingdom of God, there is a complete change or transformation in what is going on in your life. Okay. When you live in the kingdom of the world, the entire goal of the God of the world is to get you to believe a falsehood. And that is, well, if I go out and I'm successful in this area, then I'm going to be happy. Uh, if I go out and I find a man who's going to love me and do whatever I want and change for me, I'm going to be happy. You know, and, and what happens though, is that that's a deception because at its very core, you have to understand the presupposition on which you're building your logic, your reason. And the presupposition that you're building your logic on is this is if I get what I want, I will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. If I get what I want, I will be happy. But you have to then ask yourself, if you're a real deep thinker, you have to ask yourself, how many times has my want, what I wanted, not been helpful? A lot of the time. We actually oh. just talked about this yeah. at youth oh, group last night. Yeah. Uh, Mason gave a really good message about hype versus heart. And he's like, yeah. how often are you hyped about something? And you think that's going to be the thing that's going to keep you happy. Like it might be yeah. a new phone. Like Apple thrives on this. It's yeah. like, you it's want this new every iPhone year. <laughs> or Marvel. You yeah. want to see this movie. And then you get, you watch the movie or you get the phone. And then, you know, yeah. after like. I mean, my phone, I'm like, I'm over it by a weekend. And I'm like, okay, it's just my phone. And I'm throwing it against, you know, wherever. Or Marvel, it's like, you haven't thought about that movie you went and watched in a long time, right? And see, and that's, what, that's what I think we really have to dig into. That notion is that um, in the kingdom of the world, you have to be sick and tired of how it manipulates you. It's amazing to me. Um, that we have desires. These desires are powerful. They are strong. And the world manipulates 
those desires against us, mm-hmm. right? It to to and really unhealthy things. So the drive for a male to be sexually active is incredibly powerful and strong, right? And yet the world manipulates that and uses it against you. So it becomes one of the most painful and confusing and frustrating experiences of your life. That's what the world is all about. It's about making a promise, then stealing it. what it promised from you it's all temporary right it's all temporary then you switch over to the kingdom of god and something else is going on that runs completely contrary to what the world do and that's the whole point of this verse is the kingdom of god is about doing a good work in you and god has started a good work in you he began this good work when you were redeemed by the blood of christ and he is going to complete it until christ comes back So until you go and be with Christ, right? You die and you're freed from this earthly body or Christ comes back. Until that moment, God is working in you in the kingdom of God. And this is why it's so important to ask yourself on a regular basis, do I want to live in the kingdom of the world or do I want to live in the kingdom of God? Because when you start living in the kingdom of God, you realize, oh, this is what God is doing in me, right? And it's a good work. Uh, Now, I didn't say it was a work without pain. It's not a work without suffering. And it's usually not quick. And it's not fast. But he began this work and it's good. It is so good for you. It is good for your soul. It heals your soul. It redeems your soul. It establishes your soul. And then once that happens, all of these other things in the world, like your marriage or your parenting or your perception of your job or your career, or even your perception of yourself or what makes you think, what you think makes you happy and fulfills you. Guess what? Those things are influenced and they start to change. They become aligned with the kingdom of God. And then that is a real good work it's a good thing that happens in you that is a very important <laughs> verse i mean like <laughs> it I, is it's, it's powerful that's and i mean i'm sure we're gonna be discovering all kinds of things as we study philippians but i think keeping that premise that key verse really in mind as we look at everything is going to be really important um are you ready to move on to verse yeah seven? let's keep going okay. we got to keep going or we'll run out of time verse seven for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my hearts since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. So notice here, because of the people had become a part of the kingdom of God, they desired to participate in all aspects of the kingdom of God. You see the, the thing that Paul loved about the Philippians is that they continued to choose to show up. You know, I have a friend, a guy I know, he's a great guy, Very, he, he's a successful guy. He, he's so funny. He goes, well, you know, 90-something percent of life is just showing up. Mm. You know, you just show up and, yep. and see what happens. And that's what the Philippians were doing. Uh, the b- principle here is very clear, and that is in the kingdom of God, you always feel apart. You are connected. Okay? You, you're showing up. Notice, though, the... Uh, uh, the implication here is that you're showing up to participate in the mission of the kingdom alongside others. When I was watching uh, the Band of Brothers that HBO put out, I really liked it. I liked its historical accuracy. It's it's uh, realistic depictions of battle. And what I really liked is how they stuck closely with uh, Stephen Ambrose, the historian's account of uh, the easy company and so forth. And what was really interesting too, is they added actual interviews with the men of easy company. 
at the end of the movie, sometimes at the very beginning. It was really fascinating to see these interviews. And one of the things that they talked about is the quotes that they would, that brought them together in their reunions, you know, decades and decades later throughout their lives was this uh, notion that I fought alongside heroes. And there's something that when you fight together with other men, you develop a bond mm -hmm. that is unexplicable. I think a lot of young men are growing up in a world where that's missing, you know? And so they're lost. And when they become a part of the kingdom of God, and then they start to serve in the kingdom of God, they can find and experience that. Yeah, I think... The closest analogy we have, because, you know, in America, a lot of men were no longer drafted, right? So right. it's like we don't have that. There's no fighting alongside each other. Yeah. So the closest thing you have is maybe like a sport or some really intense thing, but that's still not even close to that. And so that the the bonds forged in, in something as intense as war are, are the only thing that's close is when you join the kingdom of God, right? Like right. You can see that in sports and stuff, but it's still not the same. Yeah, but they, they do talk about that. I think that's the only thing, you know, now what you have is you have some of these things called tribes that a lot of young men get a part of. And uh, uh, what's really interesting is they'll form these little groups for online gaming, you know, and yes. you set up a Discord thing. Now I am, I am well aware of all of the that. things you're saying. And that's how you talk to each other and you put the headset on and you're talking to each other and strategizing in these war games together. And I, it's extremely popular among men. You know, it's it's it's. It's a billion dollar a year business, billions of dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And most people aren't even aware of it. You know, uh, I think it's really important to understand that that is meeting that need of young males to feel like, man, I've developed a band of brothers. I, I'm, it's trying to recreate it in a digital space, but that's why young males are so attracted to it, right? Gang activity in inner cities, that's why they're so attracted to it. Uh, these types of things, you know, males need to fight alongside something and they need an adventure to, to live in a battle to win. Mm. That's how they're wired to do that. And what Paul is writing is that you're experiencing that because you're in the kingdom of God and you're showing up and you are fighting alongside for the mission. And all throughout the New Testament, you see the Philippian church doing one thing over and over and over again, and that is sacrificing and giving to support the advancement of the gospel. All right, we're going to cruise along because we're, we're getting close on time. So verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Yes, let's jump in there. The kingdom of God is about discovering real knowledge and discernment. Notice how he says that. I want you to have more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, mm. which is wisdom. You're discovering the most excellent things about life. There's all these things that you can do that you can spend your time on or invest your money in or give your attention to. But the issue he's talking about, what is the most excellent things about life? What, what is it that you get to the end of your life and go, thank goodness I chose to do that. Thank goodness mm. I invested myself in that. The end result is when you discover these things, 
you are filled with the fruit of what comes through Jesus. So when you participate alongside others in God's kingdom, you discover true knowledge and the most excellent things about life. That's what the kingdom of God is designed for. The kingdom of the world is designed to make a promise and then cheat you out of what it promised. This is why the kingdom of God is so important, why you need to get it right, understand its true nature, understand how it works. Let's keep going because he makes a shift here. Okay, so verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the case of Christ have has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and it to everyone else. And that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Okay, here's something that's really interesting is you have to understand is that Paul was arrested He was initially held as a political prisoner in the governor's palaces, which were pretty vast things. They had prisons and and all kinds of stuff. And what's important to understand is the term Praetorian Guard. Now, Praetorian Guards were different than Roman legions. Roman legions were soldiers that fought in the military. And what they did is they would traipse all over the empire, wherever they were sent by their generals, and and then they would fight. Okay, they were highly disciplined. They knew how to fight. As you got older, if you weren't promoted uh, as a leader up, up the ladder is a a higher officer, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because you didn't have that capacity, you could become a Praetorian guard. And a Praetorian guard were highly trained, but they tended to be a little older, more mature. They were the guards for the political class of Rome. So kind of like a lot of... uh... A lot of military guys that are like really highly trained can opt into maybe doing secret service or or Something, like yeah, or like, like uh, mm-hmm. private sector security work because they're yes. highly they don't they can't be out running around you know these crazy countrysides anymore but they are highly trained and could protect people that are needing protecting yeah and predominantly what they would do is they they protected the political class they were the guards so they were like the secret service or the i the uh the state troopers you know that's their job uh of what they're supposed to do and so it's a little different than the actual military right right and so that paul was arrested and he was being guarded by these people many people were upset because they viewed paul's arrest as a huge setback or black eye on this new movement of Jesus, right? It's like, oh my goodness, this doesn't look good. But he points out the exact opposite. He goes, something better has happened. First and foremost, the whole Praetorian guard has heard the gospel. Mm. So I, what I'm doing is I'm preaching the gospel to men who are going to be the most influential men in Rome in the future. These men are going to retire. They're going to be involved in business. They have political connections. They have connections with the legions. They, I mean, these are highly influential people. Right. And here I am doing what? I am sharing the gospel with them. Mm. As a matter of fact, when you're reading the book of Acts, you know, the governor, I think it was Felix or whatever, Paul's talking and it's really interesting. He says, I need to stop listening or you're going to convert me for crying out loud. <laughs> so uh, it's really interesting is that in Philippians uh, in Philippi, the Philippians, boy, you got to get that right, uh, were people who had 
had great influence across the entire empire because of their connections. Right. Right. And here Paul's saying, look, you guys are retired Praetorians. Some of you are retired Praetorians. Now I'm I'm with active Praetorians, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm preaching the gospel to them. Some of the people that you would love to see hear the message and come to Christ. So don't be upset about that. But the other thing it's done is this, is it has emboldened other people to speak out and not be afraid. And that's really powerful. In other words, my calamity, my setback is actually being redeemed by God and used as courage and confidence for others. So the biblical principle is this. When I choose to live in the kingdom of God, uh, it allows me to be courageous in my sharing, confident in my witness, even when things don't go my way. I mean, we constantly see God work this way, right? Yes. Things where we think it's being it's being used for evil, and then He turns it to something good, right? You know, yes. the the death of Jesus, yeah, arguably bad. God's yeah. like, no, I got a plan. This is actually for good, and He likes to work with those those things. And so Paul's basically taking that same mindset of, yeah, this appears to be bad from the outside, but here's the way. I can turn this to, you know, God's turning this to be used for good. Yeah, exactly. For Here's me. something that just, I have to throw this in on what you just said, because it's so powerful, is that uh, there's there's these organizations, these foundations that study churches all over the United States. Uh, we, we're a partnership with uh, CFR, Christian Financial Resources. And what they do is they send us um, uh, information about trends. And there's another one uh, that we used to be uh affiliated with called CDF does the exact same thing. And they email us stuff about trends and they're, they're helping churches all across America. And they said, here are some of the five most interesting church growth statistics that you can know. And you know what? Number four is churches that experience, um, zero conflict grew at a, uh, rate lesser than churches that experience conflict. So the, Again, taking things that the world would say are bad, you know, your church is yeah. having a conflict and God's using it to grow that church. Yeah. So he's not saying massive conflict, like let's say <laughs> Don't there's go get a, in a fight and yeah. change your entire theology. They're, they're not, but, but they're saying churches that have a lot of conflict in them, not huge conflict where like the senior pastor dies or right. runs off with the secretary to Arizona, not that, or the treasurer embezzles all the money and moves to Hawaii, not that kind of stuff. What they're saying though, but all the conflict in the, the, in it and trying to work things out and leadership changes and, and turnover and that kind of stuff. They said those churches grew at a faster rate than those that had zero conflict. Mm, that is interesting. We've got a couple more verses I know you had talked about wanting to hit before we, we finish up today. Yeah. So uh, verse 15, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Wow, this, this passage of Scripture right here, just these short few verses it, are so powerful. They're kind of odd, though. They like, are super <laughs> odd, and you really got to— I was the one reading it, and I was like— 
Paul, what are you what, what are, are you, you saying? This is what he's saying. He it's one of the most strangest principles that he taught. He's actually saying that the motivation. See, notice where he says some do it out of love, which is a good motivation. Some don't do it out of pure motives. In other words, their motivation is not pure. It's not good. It's not right. He says, I don't care. Your motivation is irrelevant. What he cares about is the purity of the message. Are they preaching Jesus? Not a false Jesus or a corrupted Jesus, but the actual Jesus. There's no perfect witness, he says. There's no perfect preacher. There's no perfect pastor. You know, there's none of that. And what, but what it is, and sometimes pastors will go out with wrong motives. Right. Uh, but as long as they're preaching the purity of Jesus, Paul says, I don't care. And I, I find this so fascinating, and we'll get into this for the Thursday's podcast. But in today's world, all of the emphasis is on your motive. Mm -hmm. The impact of what you did is irrelevant. Whether it hurts people or not is irrelevant. As long as is that you feel it's the right thing to do and you have a good motive, then that makes everything that you did that created carnage and brokenness and every rule and principle and moral guidance of God you broke is, oh, that's all irrelevant. As long as you, well, I thought I had the right heart. But what did we talk about early on? And that is, can you trust your want? No. Not no. No. <laughs> See how this all comes together is so important, and we'll dig into it a little bit more. But, man, I'll tell you, this is one of the weirdest principles out there, and that is Paul says, I don't care what your motive is for preaching the gospel. As long as you're preaching as long an as accurate you're gospel. Yeah, as, if you're preaching the accurate go gospel, I don't care. Even if you're doing it out of spite for me, <laughs> I don't care. Isn't that man, interesting? Paul's the original salty man. He is the original <laughs> salty pastor. Well, we're going to dig into that more on Thursday. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I encourage you, we're going to be spending this entire series in Philippians. Yes. So it's only, what, four chapters? Yeah. Four chapters very long. very short. Read it. Re read read it, it. Read the book. Read, read it, the read book. It, read it. Read it. Because you're going to gain so much more if you're reading it and then hearing what Pastor Doug is, mm -hmm. is talking about so that it's really locking in what these verses mean in the context. Because that's the best thing you can do when you're reading these books is have the context. So then when you're reading it, you're getting the truth out of it and you're not going, well, what is he even talking about here? It's like, I read that <laughs> verse and I had no idea what he was talking about. So this is the best time to spend time in Philippians. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings and Happy New Year.